Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real, honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm CJ, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Brett. Hey. Charlie. Hey, friends. And the one and only Kara Powell. Hello. Whoop, whoop. Now, Kara, this is not your first time on the podcast, but just as a refresher, tell tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do and why we're so excited to have you here today. Yeah, well, I'll start with I'm a parent. Our kids right now are in grades 12, 10, and 7. Uh, Dave and I have been married for over 20 years, and I'm a faculty member at Fuller Seminary and get to work with the awesome team at the Fuller Youth Institute. Well, and that is one of the reasons why we are really excited to have you here today, because at the Fuller Youth Institute, along with Dr. Steve Argue. Yes. You guys wrote a book called Growing With that we're yes. going to dive into a little bit, yep. but it's packed full of research and helpful advice for parents. And we're going to figure out how that actually applies and can benefit us as youth leaders as well. Yes, yes a, you're raising your hand, Brett. I do. I have a really important question that I think should be the first question of the podcast. I'm sure you get this a lot. Yes. So I'm sure you have an answer prepared. Yes. Who do you think has better hair, you or Steve? <laughs> you've seen Steve if argue. You, if you've seen pictures of Steve, Steve's got a great head of hair. That's a really good question. Yeah, he does that's have good an hair. easy one for me. Steve okay. definitely Steve does. Okay. has better hair. Yeah, my kids can't believe that Steve is actually older than me because he <laughs> is so hip um, and cool. In fact, just the fact that I use the word hip and cool means that I'm not very hip and cool. <laughs> there you go. Um, but no, Steve definitely has the better hair. Yeah, and so. Steve might be a new name for for a lot of folks, but Steve is an he. I mean, I've heard him speak, mm-hmm. met him, you know, briefly, different things. Okay, like okay, that. we get it. But no, he's, yeah. He's kind of fanboying here. Him. He's 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 awesome. Yeah, and he, so I'm excited that he, that he's going to get introduced to a lot of people through this resource. Yeah, he was pastor and theologian in residence at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, and wow. did his PhD in emerging adult spirituality. And it's a joy to work with him at Fuller in the Fuller Youth Institute. Well, well, again, we are really excited to have you joining us today, Kara. Yeah, uh, and uh, we were talking about how to help parents and teenagers connect about life and faith at home. And that's where I love uh, the title, honestly, of the book, Growing With, because honestly, I feel like most parents probably feel like they're growing apart right. from their teenagers. Right. And so it's kind of a really uh, neat concept to like, okay, what does it look like to reverse that process of growing apart to growing with? Because we all know that at the end of the day, even as ministry leaders, small group leaders, Parents matter so much in a student's faith journey, and they are the primary influence in a student's life and faith growing up throughout high school and into college and and beyond, even though sometimes I think we underestimate a parent's, you know, uh, ability and influence in a student's life. You know, we tend to overinflate. Yeah ministry leaders and small group leaders, our time we have and our influence. Our our 40 hours trumps their 3,000 hours somehow in our minds. Right. But even still, even though we know that parents are the most important influence, oftentimes at home, they're also uh, between a teenager and a parent. That's the primary source of conflict as well. So what does it look like to close that gap between parents and and their students, right? And that's, uh, that's kind of what the book is about. And that's where I think we can jump in as ministry leaders and walk alongside parents as they, they navigate that tension. So before we get into it though, let's just kind of get a feel for where everybody is here at the table. I've got, I've got one kid at home. He's six weeks old. So we're a little, 
we're a little ways away from from the teenager world. But you're an expert on parenting, <laughs> right? No, obviously. I've got it. I've got it figured out. The the Pampers wipes are way are not as good as the Kirkland wipes. So oh. the Kirkland wipes are way better. Okay. So there's wow. your. Good that's all the parenting advice I have. He's, he's in. It. He's in it already. But I know that uh, you three around the table uh, have a little bit more experience in this area. So Brett, tell me about your kids, and then I want to jump to Charlie and then Kara. Yeah, we're at five, seven, and nine right now. So we're still not quite to to those you're years. On the cusp. But thinking about like my daughter who's nine, like close to entering like preteen yeah. world and, and everything like that, you know, it's 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 wild. And I'm like a lot of you who are listening, I don't I don't have biological teenagers, but you know, I still have mm-hmm. in ministry, you know, I've got my group of seventh grade boys that I'm a small group leader for, and I also have, you know, from previous ministries, yeah, sure. the ones that you just totally. connected with, you know, differently and you still sure. have those regular yeah. and they're in their twenties now or they're you know, they're still in their teens and you're still trying to kind of play some some sort of that role. So I've got a few of those names in my mind that aren't quite quite biological children, but to me still kind of fall in some of this. Totally. Charlie, what about you? Today is actually the last day that I have a teenager in my house. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. So congratulations. Wow, like a drum roll or something. Do we so, say congratulations? No, I don't know. Okay. that's where you like, don't mm. cue the confetti okay. at those <laughs> moments. Um, so I have one adopted daughter who is already 20 and my biological daughter turns 20 tomorrow. Wow. Guys, it's a hard it's a hard time with the old Condorosa. <laughs> we um, are really struggling with parenting right now because we've never been here. I thought middle school was the hardest time to be a parent, yeah. and I have changed that now. Mm. So, how do you parent a twenty year old? So, I'm here for Kara to give me all the advice. <laughs> well, you're not alone because this this is a challenging time for parents. I mean, it, you're you're pioneering a new stage of parenting. You really are because what's happening with our young adults today, it hasn't happened to previous young adults. Mm. So it's hard to know what to do Mm. and how to respond to what's happening to this generation of 20 something. So we'll certainly dive into that. Good. So Kara, what about you? Which stage of parenting are you in? Yeah, Well, I'm very much in the middle school and high school stage, but our 12th grader, I mean, he's he's already kind of got one foot out the door. He's done all Mm. his college applications. Mm. We're waiting to hear back. Um, from the 11 schools that he's applied Ooh, to. Wow. So wow. yeah, it was like a part-time job last fall uh, during <laughs> college application yeah. for him and me in some ways. And Dave and I are, are already ahead of time kind of grieving that transition. Mm. And we're not anxious for him, but we're just sad mm. um, that we know we're going to miss him. So feeling a lot of emotion over here. So let's let's dive into it then. So let's go back to Charlie. You said this has been as you know you're, you're in the, your last day with with a teenager. <laughs> yeah. You said this has been a really challenging season for you as a parent. So what do you mean by that? What what's been going on? Tell us a little bit about that. And now a moment of parental venting with Charlie Condor. I could really vent, and I I think um, I think if you are in my parenting stage right now, I think it's hard across the board. Because when they are doing things that you know they're not supposed to, how do you discipline a 20-year-old mm. who pays yeah. their own car insurance and pays for their phone bill? Like, what do you take away? Their bed? I mean, because I paid for that, and they're not <laughs> right. paying for that. Right. It's just hard moments to yeah. parent. Um, yeah, there's no screen time to take away no, at this point. Right. Yeah. I want to coach them in the best way possible so that they are successful adults. But there's also this mom in me that hates watching them fail. Right. Mm. So it's just hard. Do you feel like you're... You, in this stage, you guys are growing apart, and you know, like you're further, you know. CJ's just trying to make me cry. Um, <laughs> we're coming off of Christmas break, and my daughter and I had a really hard Christmas break where I might have said, "Don't hurry home," um, because there was a lot of tension and a lot of fighting. And we are um, almost to the end of January right now, and she's still not talking to me. Mm. So I have a little broken heart, 
And so this Saturday, I get to see her, though, for her birthday. So, you know, I'm just going to buy all her affection at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Kara, she's not alone, right? No, not alone. And, I mean, Charlie, you're showing amazing courage by sharing here what mm-hmm. you're experiencing. And what grieves me is not just that parents are experiencing what you're experiencing, yeah. but that they're usually experiencing it in isolation. Mm. They're not yes. talking to others yeah. about it. And they're certainly not going to the church with their pain. Mm-hmm. When you are coming to us with it, I'm sure you're talking to your friends about it. You are the exception. Most parents are, are journeying with these unresolved questions, daily pain, great anxiety, mm-hmm. and there's no safe place to them to go, for them to go with it. And part of what Steve and I want to see happen out of our Growing With vision is that the church becomes that yeah. safe place that's for totally. parents to go to. Yeah, so specifically thinking through the youth ministry lens, I mean, that's to me, like that's a huge, mm-hmm. a huge takeaway is so often when we think of partnering with parents, it's resourcing parents for this or, you know, helping parents, you know, this is how you handle technology, this is how you do that. But a lot of that is helping our churches understand how do we help create communities for parents and how do we maybe help break some stigma, whether that's from the stage or in the resources or whatever, to say these are these are safe conversations to have and you're not the only ones going through this. Yeah, you know, somebody recently just asked me why the name Growing With. Um, and I, I, there's a couple of reasons for it, a handful actually, but one, because we have a previous book, Growing Young. Yep which Mm -hmm. looked at churches that aren't aging or shrinking, but are really growing and thriving, especially Mm -hmm. with young people. And one of the things that we saw in those churches is they prioritized families. Um, And so we wanted whatever resource we were going to do for families to connect with that. And so there's growing young, growing with. Uh, but then secondly, I mean, Brett, you're, you're getting at it, that we want the church to be a place that grows with families, doesn't have a, a dead end, but, but that, you know, adolescence and young adulthood are an on-ramp for a deeper relationship yeah. between a church and a family. And then thirdly, I mean, in Charlie's case, you're a vivid example, how can we help a family as a kid is maturing not grow apart, but yeah. somehow manage to grow together? Yes. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the long marathon... Not the sprint, but the long marathon of family life. How do you grow together and not apart? So those are some of the reasons we call it growing with. And I love the paradox of that because what we what we know developmentally, socially, all these pieces and almost a responsibility that we feel sometimes in youth ministry is there is going to be an independence. There is going to be a separation in some ways from teenagers and parents. And so how do we in youth ministry help facilitate that in healthy ways? You know, rebellion's going to show up in some way. How do we navigate that towards a healthy rebellion and a healthy situation, whatever that looks like? And so while they're kind of growing independent, what does it look like to be growing with them in those situations to give parents handles on what those things look like. Well, um, and one of the things that we've concluded after looking at all the research on teenagers and young adults today is there's this weird thing happening with the time span of young people. And this Mm. is part of what I meant, Charlie, when I said today's young people are different than previous Mm -hmm. generations. On the one hand, there's like this gas pedal for teenagers where they're growing up quickly. And Mm -hmm. we see this with 13-year-olds. What we say in the book is 14 is the new 24, Mm. that you, you know, you see this young people who uh, they are so advanced. They know so much about culture. I mean, honestly, my kids know things that I knew at age 24. They yeah, know yeah. at age 14 mm-hmm. just about life and our world. But at the same time, there's this brake pedal. 
adolescence is lengthening. Some of the traditional markers that we've turned in our culture that signify, quote, adulthood, end quote, and I'm putting that in quotes, <laughs> um, air quotes for those of you who can't see me. Um, some of the traditional markers that, that signify a young person transitioning into adulthood, those are happening later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, marriage is happening five years later. First child is happening five years later. Financial independence is happening five years later. Finishing school is happening later. First long-term job is happening later. Mm. So as a result, you know, it's gas pedal and brake pedal. And if you've ever driven with one foot on both, (laughs) that's like a herky-jerky ride, right? And so, you know, that's what young people are experiencing, and that's what a parent Mm -hmm. is experiencing. Mm. And so, you know, if we want to be youth leaders who travel with both adolescents and their family, and then have a good long-term trajectory for those adolescents as they become young adults, we need to think about equipping and partnering with families way differently. Hmm. Well, right off the bat, that's just everything you just shared is one super easy way we as leaders can partner with parents like and remind them, hey, if you're going through this or you're navigating this tension or you feel like your your kids maturing too slowly or too quickly in some areas like that's normal because totally the way normal. that you grew up is not necessarily not necessarily the way that your kid grew up and just helping them realize and see that that that's the reality of our culture today uh, might honestly just re- relieve some of the stress and tension mm. that they're feeling as they parent their yeah. teenager and some of the guilt totally and shame that young people themselves feel Um, During the course of our research, I met with a young woman that we'll call Rebecca, and I actually have known Rebecca for quite a while. She's now in her late 20s, but she was in my junior high small group back in the day when she was in junior high. Um, Not when I was in junior high, but when she was in junior high. And so, um, you know, she went to a a prestigious four-year college, and then she wasn't quite sure what to do after she graduated from college. So she spent time working as a barista, volunteering in different nonprofits, Um, And now at age 28, she's figured out that she wants to be an occupational therapist. Mm. And she's chosen a grad school that specializes in occupational therapy for refugees. Mm. So she reaches out to me on Facebook, kind of like you were saying, Brett, you know, old youth group kids who keep in touch with us. She reaches out to me on Facebook and says, can we meet for coffee? And of course, I always say yes to that. And so we met for coffee and she's telling me about what she feels like is God's calling on her life, occupational therapy for refugees. Um, And she says, but I can't believe I'm 28 and I've just now figured out Mm. what God is calling me to. And I said, oh my goodness, Rebecca, just so you know, your generation, it's taking you longer to figure out what God's called you to. And I went through all the data. I mean, this is U.S. Census data that I just shared here, you know, about later to get married, later to figure out career, later to be done with school. And we're at Starbucks and she just starts crying. And she says, nobody ever told me this. Hmm. Nobody ever told me this, Kara. And I wish her church, and I wish her church had equipped her parents and her herself to realize that this journey for young people, it's longer and it's more confusing. I mean, the good news is there's more possibilities. Right. It's kind of like GPS on your phone. I mean, the number of routes that young people have to choose Mm. from, I don't want to say limitless, but it's pretty close to that. I mean, there's so many possibilities. But just like when you're trying to navigate somewhere, when you see all those routes, that becomes kind of overwhelming. That's how young people feel today. Mm. So, So we need to be that safe place. And as you said, CJ, a place that 
educates young people yeah. and their families about what it's like to be a young person today. Charlie, is what Kara's saying resonating? Is Do you feel that tension? Do you uh, Are you experiencing living this right now? Well, when you're talking about putting your foot on the gas pedal and your foot on the brake, it felt like freshman year of college, our daughter gained all this freedom and just kind of took off in the world and knew exactly what she was going to do and it was headed down a certain path. But then this year it's break, emergency break. Like, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, you. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden as a mom, you're like, wait, what, what happened? What did I do? What did I, what didn't I do? And, and I, you're asking yourself that yeah. question. What did I do? What did I do to like stop her progression um, from moving forward mm. in adulthood? Um, mm-hmm. What could I have done better? And oh, as someone who's been in student ministry for so long, I carry that guilt though as a youth pastor because while I have coffee with previous students, I don't have a lot of connection once they leave our ministry anymore. Mm-hmm. And if they reach out to me on Facebook, that's great. But in no way am I helping their parents. Right. No way am I helping them move forward. And now I'm sitting here in this panic as a mom of 20-year-olds going, why haven't I helped other parents see mm-hmm. that it's not our fault necessarily? Yes. And how could I have helped parent or how could I have helped coach them as parents better? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you're right. As parents, we tend to take responsibility mm-hmm. for things that maybe aren't our responsibility. Well, I love you. I love hearing you say it may not be my responsibility <laughs> yeah. because I really have that button of guilt going on that badge of guilt right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was sitting with you over coffee, and we were talking as friends, I would say... Or into a podcast or mic with thousands podcast. of right, listeners. Right. With microphones millions, in front of us. Right. Either way, really. Similar, Mil- yeah, similar environments. Millions. Sorry. Gazillions of people. That's a precise research <laughs> right. term, by the way. Gazillions. You know, I would be saying, huh, you know, your daughter's 20, almost 20, and yet you're taking responsibility. What in you makes you have that response? And in the mm-hmm. midst of your daughter's journey, what is God inviting you to? I mean, I think that's one that's of the things good. I learned about parenting is it's one of God's biggest <laughs> curriculum areas for me, where I learn more about my own desire to control, yeah. my own shame, my own taking responsibility, my own thinking, if I had just done this, yeah. then, yes. yeah. when there is no if then in parenting. I mean, maybe when you've got a six month old, <laughs> you've got a shot at some if then in parenting. You right. know, if we keep our baby up a little bit later, maybe he'll sleep a little right. bit longer. Right. But even there, that's, Doesn't a ten- always work. that's a tenuous connection, <laughs> right. even there. I mean, there, there aren't the if thens in parenting. And, and we want parents to know that and yet still have some principles that can guide them and take some of the guesswork out of parenting. Yeah. And I think the way that I'm wired, I tend to be a fear-based person. Yeah. And so in those situations, I can, I mean, even now in parenting, and, I, and I'm sure in some ways it's only just going to get worse, there's just that fear of, well, if I don't, then and then I go to worst case scenario. Yeah. Or if 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 they don't blank, yeah. how do I get them to blank? Because if they don't, and then a lot of times there's just um, a phrase we used to use a lot in uh, the the last church I was in was that unmet expectations leads to disappointment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we have all these <laughs> unexpressed or uncommunicated expectations of, okay, when you go to college, this is exactly what it's going to look like, or this is how this year looked like. So now we assume that you're going to be able to progress the same amount that you did year one on on year two. 
And then it doesn't happen and, and we're so disappointed or we're, or we're frustrated and we don't put it together like, oh, like I had some expectations coming to this that maybe weren't realistic, yeah. but I didn't even mm-hmm. recognize I, it. I got through college in four years. Why can't my kid? Yeah. It's kind of what a parent can think. And, and, you know, we as parents, we want to protect our teenagers and young adults from making choices that we think are going to cause them pain and regret. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my friend and colleague, Scott Cormode at Fuller, he says, you know, he feels this tension as a parent that he wants to protect his kids from pain, and yet he wants them to have the kind of character and growth that can usually only come from pain. And I'm like, oh gosh, that's so true. And so, you know, you see your daughter taking a little bit longer in school and you want her to go faster because you think that's best for her, but you can't really know that for sure. And even Mm. if it does end up being a decision she regrets, maybe there's something she needs to learn about herself or her journey because of that decision. But it's so painful to be near her as a parent seeing that. Mm. So we're, we're obviously talking a lot about, you know, kind of the disconnection between parents and their teenagers. And I want to dive a little bit more into this before we, before we kind of turn the corner, because I really think that as ministry leaders, as small group leaders, this can be really, really helpful as we partner with parents in our ministry. Yeah. Um, so we did, you know, title this Connect About Life and Faith at Home, and I want to dig into the, to the faith part a little bit. So another big source of conflict for many parents and teenagers is how they view faith, religion, uh, God, that kind of a thing. So Kara, have you noticed in your research, Charlie, have you noticed in your parenting that a student's faith journey differs from your own? Is this the norm for parents and students in our ministries? One of the things that I'm trying to grasp as a parent and help parents grasp is uh, a different even definition of faith. I think we often as leaders tend to think of faith as a noun, and that's often how it's used in scripture. Faith is also though a verb. It's a process. It's Mm -hmm. active and dynamic. It's not just something static that we have. It's something that we do. We faith as a verb. And in Mm -hmm. fact, in Growing With, Steve and I have a couple chapters on this. What does it look like for a teenager or young adult to be involved in faithing Mm -hmm. as a verb? And when you realize that faith isn't static, it's a process, I think it gives you more patience and hope as a parent or a small group leader or a youth pastor who's trying to journey with their child. And and also hope in some of those dark times when your child is doubting, when your child Mm -hmm. is drifting from the church. You know, in some of the research we've done before, we see that about 70% of youth group seniors admit to having significant doubts about their faith before they graduate from high school. And that's the percentage that admit. It's likely, if anything, right. possibly a bit higher than right, that. Right. And you know, before before I started to understand doubt and even look at the data on doubt, I would have been pretty concerned about that. Oh my goodness, that many young people are doubting. But what we've actually seen in our research is that doubt in and of itself isn't toxic. It's unexpressed doubt mm-hmm. that's toxic. Mm. When young people have the opportunity to express and explore their doubts, that's actually correlated with greater faith maturity, both in high school and college. So then the question becomes for us as leaders and leaders who want to equip parents, how do we help the church and the family be a safe place for teenagers and young adults to talk about their faith thing, to talk about those tough questions? Um, One of the questions that I love asking my own teenagers is, what is something that you believe about life or God that you think I don't now? And what is something that you no longer believe about life or God that you think I still do? 
Like, I just want us, actually, I got that from Steve Argue, uh, who co-authored Growing With (laughs) with me. So all all credit goes to Steve on that. But I love those questions and just what they say about the kind of relationship I want to have with my kids, where we can admit that we're going to have differences. We might have differences when it comes to faith. We might have differences when it comes to politics. I mean, different, we're going to have differences and that's okay. We can discuss it. And also I I want to communicate to my kids that their faith is going to evolve. What do you no longer believe or what do you believe now that's different than me? I just want to pause and say, that's another great, super practical takeaway to, you know, to offer that kind of insight to your, the parents uh, in your ministry. Like, okay, faith is not necessarily just something you know, you have or you don't in, in this case. You know, like faithing is it's a journey and it's gonna have ups and downs and doubts are part of the faithing process. And I love those those two questions that you offer because it is it opens up a conversation instead of shuts the door on a kid who might be struggling in some areas, right? Mm-hmm. Another question I really like talking about with young people in general, and especially my own kids, when the mood is right. And you know, Brett, looking at you as a parent of elementary age, I would say the biggest difference for me, or one of the biggest differences for me in conversations with elementary age, my own kids versus now that they're teenagers, is their mood matters more. Like when they were in elementary, <laughs> yeah. I could talk about pretty much anything whenever I wanted. Now it's much more when they're ready. But when they're ready, I love asking them, when do you feel closest to God? Mm-hmm. And that just gives me great information about what's important to them. For our son, since he's been in fourth grade, it's been worship. When does he feel closest to God? It's in worship. He hmm. now, he plays guitar. He leads worship um, You know, two out of three Sundays in our student ministry. He loves going to worship rehearsal, which I've never been a musician. I've never been on a worship team. But as I've come to talk to other musicians, like worship rehearsal could actually be really meaningful mm-hmm. because you get to... You know, experience the music and the lyrics without having to think the about an audience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Without sure. an audience or leadership. One of our daughters is super extroverted. And so when does when I ask her, when do you feel closest to God? It's when I'm at church with my friends. Hmm. Um, and sure enough, so, you know, Dave and I try to facilitate her getting a lot of friend time, especially with friends that we think are positive and pointing her to Jesus. So that's another great yeah. practical question yeah. for a small group leader to ask their kids or a small group leader to give to parents to mm-hmm. ask their kids. And then how do we facilitate that kind of time? Yeah, that's great. Cause, because, I, I mean, you can ask that as a small group leader, mm-hmm. I mean, depending on your relationship and how long you've been leading those students, you're going to get different answers. But like a parent, you know, going back to they are the primary faith influence could really, really like that question could have a lot more influence and power coming from a parent than it could just, a, you know, a small group leader, no matter how uh, good of a small group leader they, they may be. Right. It's been interesting as a mom to see my daughter's faith evolve from wanting to be part of this giant corporate worship with the lights and all the flashy things to her seeking out a small church of a type of worship that she didn't grow up with, that she is now like involved in a Bible study there and chose that on her own, mm-hmm. where Maybe as a mom, I might have gave her a list of churches close to her college. Um, helicopter mom. <laughs> hypothetically. Hy- yeah, yeah, hypothetically, yeah. if you were helicopter mom, you might have done that. Yeah. Um, and right. then for her to seek out something that really spoke to her and that she felt drawn to. And yeah. so I love that conversation. I think that that needs to be happening um, around tables everywhere, and especially yeah. even with the small group leader. I would love to hear a small group leader ask that as freshmen and then revisit it when they're seniors again mm. yeah. to kind of see where the students evolved. Yeah. Well, and I think you're raising another great question, Charlie, for either a small group leader or parents or a small group leader to help parents ask is 
what are you looking for in a church after you graduate? Yeah. Yep. You know, and I remember asking that and one high school boy said to me, I want a place where I can wear shorts. Like, okay, Period, that, that was, was it. it. That okay. was his entire answer. Wow. And then, you know, I tried to go a little deeper about teaching, worship and all mm-hmm. that, but that was his starting point. He Just was a shorts. 17-year-old boy. He wanted to, he'd come from a pretty formal church, obviously, and wanted more cash, but... Um, but yeah, for us to ask our kids and you know visit visit different churches with our kids so they get a sense of what it's like to walk into yeah. a new church. Some of our kids have not walked into a new church ever. Mm. You know, right. they've really been raised in the church. And well, especially for those of us who've worked in ministry and our kids have been in ministry. Yep. Totally. They've grown up in the church. It's like their own home. Totally. Wow, that fear of walking in somewhere new. Yep. Yeah, it's so let's, overwhelming. Let's practice yeah. with them. So that when they go to college or the military or they're working someplace else, they have some experience That's walking into advice. a new place. So, mm-hmm. so it's great to hear that your daughter kind of on her own navigated all that. That's wonderful. Okay, so here's a question. As, as a youth pastor, as a next-gen pastor, we, we spent, I've spent so much time trying to equip parents help them understand, resource them, that they, that they are the greatest spiritual influence in the life, in the life of their kids when they're nine, when they're 12, when, when they're 15, when they're 19, when they're 20, when they're 21. Does that change? Is, is, that, is that no longer true? I, I don't feel equipped to really even answer that. And if it is true, how do we set, again, some realistic expectations for parents that, hey, these things are going to shift and here's how we can help you in the midst of this transition? Yeah. They're no longer the most important influence in a young person, in the young person's faith development, but they're also not unimportant. Right. So I think there's two extremes that parents tend to believe, mm-hmm. and the truth is somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle. So that's part of what Steve and I have worked on, is coming up with a more nuanced approach to, I mean, really building on Orange's phase work, which I'm such a fan of, um, thinking about ages 13 to 29. And what that means for a parent's posture with Mm. those ages. So, you know, typically adolescence is age 13 through 18. And and Steve and I still agree with that. We call that the learner stage. Mm -hmm. You know, a young person is experiencing rapid physical, mental, emotional growth. And so what does a parent need to be when their child is a learner? You're a teacher. You're actively involved. You're teaching them self-discipline, self-reflection, how to collaborate with others. So your child is a learner as a teenager, high school student-ish, you respond by being a teacher. Well, typically developmentalists will look at ages 18 to 29 as kind of one big category. And Stephen, I think that's too vast of a category. Mm. So we divided it up into two, um, that age 18 to 23, your child is an explorer. They're often moving away from home or home-oriented routines. Mm -hmm. I mean, Charlie, you have one of each um, Mm -hmm. navigating that right now. And they're excited about the possibilities ahead of them in terms of training, education, military, workforce, um, but also unsure of themselves. So it brings some anxiety. Now, when your child is an explorer, as a parent, your parenting posture is a guide. That's Mm -hmm. how Steve, Steve and I describe that. You're focusing on empathy and perspective taking. And just like a good guide on a hike or navigating a city, a guide's trying to figure out when do I step in and take a more active role? And when does my child kind of got this? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is more of an art than a science as a parent. So that's the parenting posture is as a guide. Then age 23 to 29, we call that stage for that late 
mid to late 20 something, that young person is a focuser. Hmm. They generally made educational, vocational, relational decisions that put them on certain trajectories. Some doors have opened, others have closed. Some feel ahead of where they thought they would be, others feel behind. What we advocate for the parent posture there is as a resourcer. Mm. Um, I, I like to think of it as a card catalog or for some of your younger listeners, Google, um, that you know, when your child asks you questions, you're there. And what we, what we heard from parents of 20-something and late 20-something is usually your advice, your resourcing comes when your child asks you a question. Mm. Every once in a while, you can step in and volunteer it, but generally you're responding to your child's questions um, with resources of your own or other resources that you point them to, other people, et cetera. Um, and, and this is so key, is in this stage, the question becomes as a parent, how do you support your child even, I was going to say if, but even when you don't agree with all of their mm -hmm. decisions? Because mm -hmm. that will be a win. Um, and, and so I think that what we've seen with parents, Brett, as to your question, is if you have the wrong understanding of your child and take the wrong posture, yeah. then that's where problems happen. Yeah. So, you know, a, a, a parent who doesn't understand that their child is still in the learner phase and is too hands off, you're not giving enough supervision and intervention and involvement. What's probably more common, at least in you know middle class culture, and Charlie, you already alluded to this, is when your child moves into that you know middle explorer stage or later focuser stage, and you're still trying to teach them. Um, and you know, Which, I, that's the hardest switch to turn off totally. of. Totally, it has to totally. be because you've parented them your whole life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you? I mean, my 18 year old, who's right on the cusp, really, of transitioning from learner to explorer, that first stage to that second stage. He said to me last week, as I was being, as my brother and I say about our own mom, quote, overly helpful, end quote. Um, he's, he looked at me and he said, Mom, I got this. And that was his way of saying, basically, back off, Mom. And he was right to say yeah. that. Like, I was, I was being too pedantic with him. Like, I was being too involved. Um, and so... So, so the, the trick is in terms of parent involvement, yeah. Brett, like how do you figure yeah. out what stage your child is in? And by the way, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to give every listener a link there where a, a parent can take a 10 question quiz and figure out where their child is oh, and awesome. then figure out how That's to respond good. to that. Um, because we designed this to help parents. It's free by the way. So we'll give that link, but you know, so figuring out where your child is and then what posture and response yeah. you take. Well, I, I mean, I would imagine this is not scientific at all, but I would imagine the vast majority of tension that parents and their kids feel from the age of 16 to 23 is is because parents don't know where they are. Yeah. They keep being the teacher. They keep playing the teacher role, teacher role, mm -hmm. teacher role. Because totally. for for you know wonderful know. intentions, yeah. I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah. Um, and just mm -hmm. patterns of behavior, and that's just what we're used to. So I think right. that language is so helpful, and I love that language for small group leaders. Mm -hmm. That language of teacher versus guide. Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah. the idea of yep. really casting the vision and helping them, like. I mean, how often do we say in ministry, like, listen, small group leader, your role is not to teach the lesson in your own words during small group time. You, you're not the teacher. You're, you're the guide. They're going to be teaching moments. And so to me, that there's, there's so much to that language that yeah. helps clarify in family life, but in ministry too. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it builds so well on the orange face work. So it really goes hand in hand. But all of this, everything that Kara, you, and Brett are talking about here, it really does kind of 
hinge and lean on the quality of the relationship mm. that a, yeah. a student, a teenager has yeah. with their parent. Like all of this hinges on, okay, what's going on at home? Are they still connecting? Is there still a relationship here where that parent can be the guide, where that parent can learn about their teenager and figure out, okay, what, where do I need to speak in? Where do I need to pull back? All of that kind of hinges on that. And that is really what growing with Kara is all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you said that because in the midst of, you know, here's a question you can ask and here's right. a phrase you can use. The foundation is relationship. And, you know, interestingly, Research shows that actually a parent's relationship with their child tends to improve after their child turns 18. Hmm. Um, and there are some exceptions to that. But if you look, if you look long term, uh, and this is hopeful for families who yeah. are feeling a lot of conflict yeah. in adolescence, like actually your relationship's probably going to get better. Yeah. All of a sudden, you seem a whole lot smarter in your child's eyes as <laughs> a parent, and you can have the kind of depth of communication. Now, I mean, as Charlie has reminded us, there are certainly bumps along the road. And, you know, my 18 year old saying to me pretty directly, mom, I got this. Um, that was him calling me out on that last week. So I, I certainly get that, but, but there's a lot of hope and positive potential for the families we care about. And as small group leaders and ministry leaders, when we hear that students and parents are struggling at home, I think sometimes our initial thought is, okay, that's my opportunity to swoop in and influence that teenager because they're no longer listening to their parents anymore. They're not leaning on their parents anymore. And I think what I love about this conversation is, okay, actually, maybe we need to reframe that. Yes, as small group leaders, ministry leaders, we can influence, but we also have to think, okay, when there's that disconnect at home, we have to think, okay, what can we do? How can we partner with parents to help them reconnect mm -hmm. a little bit? Yeah. Because that role is still crucial in the life of a teenager. It's not just a blank check for you to swoop in as a ministry leader and say, okay, parents, I've got it from here since they don't listen to you. Yeah. As someone who's been in ministry so long, and when those students come and sit on your couch and, and they talk about all the tension at home, I think that's your immediate response was, oh yeah, well, I'm here for you. Let me give you some direction. But I need to change that mindset and think about maybe calling the mom then after the conversation or calling that dad and inviting them to coffee mm. instead of the swooping in. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. You know, I love the theme of Orange this year of It's Personal. Um, and I was thinking this morning about <laughs> how personal parenting is. And, you know, Charlie, you reminded us of this this morning, that as a parent, at least I experienced that my kids are just always on my mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm honored today to do this podcast. I really am. And the gazillions of people right. who will be listening to it. And, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. You know, I had a great two-hour breakfast this morning with Reggie Joyner and others from the Orange Rethink team. But probably the highlight of my day is going to be that my seventh grader, our youngest, sent me her first real English essay in junior high for me to edit it. Oh, and wow. So this morning at 7 a.m. in my hotel room, I edited her <laughs> essay on The Outsiders, and, you know, classic <laughs> junior book. high book. Yeah. And, and I've edited her brother and sister's essay on the very same book. And that half hour is probably the highlight of my day mm. that Jessica invited me to do that. I mean, that's how personal parenting is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, Charlie, what you're saying about as a small group leader, how do we really help parents connect with their kids and be better parents? It's one of the best gifts we can give a kid is to help their yeah. parent be a better parent. Mm. So my last question is, landing the plane, let's make it super 
super practical. So what's one thing you would encourage ministry leaders to do this week to help their students and parents reconnect at home? What's one step they can take in that direction to start helping them make that reconnection? All right. So I actually have a couple. Number one is that you should be talking about students' relationships with their parents regularly in your ministry. And so whether that's a series or whether that's, you know, you you stop and you use some illustrations that hit specifically on that with whatever you're talking about, this should be a regular conversation that you're having with students, giving them the language and helping them kind of understand how to navigate their relationship with their parents. The other thing is this is the kind of stuff you should be talking about in your parent meetings. Mm-hmm. Your parent meetings should not be live versions of your emails, which I have done way too many times. Yeah. It's not the live performance of your weekly email. <laughs> That's But great. this is the level of conversation that you should be having. And when you start having these level of conversations with parents, they're going to start actually showing up to the meetings and we're not going to be complaining so much about That's great. no one shows up because yeah, they, they can read it in two minutes at home. I think for a youth pastor, I would want to invite my parents in to share conversations so they know that they're not alone. I don't have a lot of friends in my age group and in my stage of life with my daughter. What would it look like for that youth pastor to facilitate some of those conversations to bring other people in to have conversations? Um, Because parenting is hard. It's full of emotions. And I would like to know that I'm not the only one failing. Yeah. Or succeeding. Okay. Or succeeding. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of ministries do like a parental advisory council sort of a thing where they have a group of parents that they trust that they just bring in to say, what's What's happening? What kind of conversations are you guys happening as a family? What what are you struggling with? What are you guys celebrating? That that so informs them as the church leader of okay, here's some things maybe we should shift, or just kind of gives them a different perspective on what they should be doing in mm-hmm. in their ministry. That's good. That's, That's great. Um, I actually had two thoughts. Kind of one of them is building on what um, has been said already. You know, I think parent training we offer in youth ministry, and we're often disappointed by how few parents show up. Mm -hmm. And when I was a youth pastor, usually the ones who showed up were the ones who could have been giving and teaching the parent training. Um, They were really phenomenal parents. And and so I think the question becomes, and you've hinted at this, Charlie, like how do we really tap into parents' felt needs? And so really empathizing with parents. And one of the things that I've learned about parents is they're particularly scared— and thus open to training and building relationships with other parents as their kids are transitioning. Mm -hmm. So we've seen churches have have great success with parent training or a four-week parent small group or book club as kids are entering middle school, Mm -hmm. as kids are entering high school, as kids are entering college. So look for those transitions as a liminal time when parents might be open to more input and relationship with you and other parents in your church. And then the second thing, I mean, I've said this so many times, but I experienced it myself this week, is for us as small group leaders and youth leaders to just let parents know what we love about their kids. Yeah, Yeah. Um, You know, I got a text from our high school pastor this week and he doesn't do this very often, but he did it this week, letting me know something he appreciated about our two high schoolers. Mm. And, you know, I showed it immediately to my husband and and three hours later, we were still talking about it as we went to bed. I mean, that was a really big deal to us that Perry, our high school pastor, had reached out to us and let us know that. So he sees a side of our kids that we don't always get to Mm. see. And it's wonderful when he reminds us of that side of them. Yeah. So that you, know, you can do that. You can do that right now at this moment. If you're not driving, right. um, you can do that. <laughs> you can text a parent or two and just let them know 
how awesome their kid is. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll suggest, Hey, let parents know about this resource. That's an easy win. You can, you can do this week, you know, let them know about this new book growing with, it just came out. Uh, and again, we're going to let you know how you can get uh, a free chapter as well here in a second, but, uh, or order the copy or order a copy for yourself too. Like it is really helpful, uh, as a leader, as a small group leader, ministry leader to know what your parents are facing, uh, in this season of life as, uh, as they parent their teenagers. It's only going to help you relate and connect to parents more in your ministry. So this book, Growing With, did just come out. Yep. Uh, and how can our listeners get a hold of a free chapter of that, like you mentioned earlier? Well, we're such fans of Orange and XP3 that we've actually set up a special webpage. Um, if you go to growingwithbook.com slash XP3, that's growingwithbook.com slash XP3, you can get a free book chapter so you can get an immediate taste of what Growing With is like and what it could be like for the parents that you serve. You also can get access to this 10-question quiz that I mentioned. We call it our Growing With Parenting Quiz. What a creative name. Um, so that, you know, and you can send that to parents. So in just less than five minutes, they can get a sense for where their kid is at in that learner, explorer, focuser continuum. So it's not for means. my six-week-old? Not, not for your, okay. unless you're okay. six-week-old. He, I mean, he okay. looked advanced from right. the pictures you <laughs> right. showed me before the podcast, but maybe wait a few more weeks on okay. that, CJ. Got it. Got it. Um, and then also we've recorded some special podcasts with diverse wow. parents, Virginia Ward, who's a great friend of Orange, as well as others, um, to give you and your listeners a glimpse into how real-life parents of teenagers and 20-somethings are doing it and doing it well. That's also at growingwithbook.com slash XP3. So would you say those podcasts are resources specifically for church leaders, or those are good for parents, too? Send More geared to for parents, parents actually, okay, perfect. probably. So it'd be a, a resource that a leader could listen to and then recommend to parents. Perfect. Well, that's awesome. And we'll, of course, as always, we will have links to all of that in the show notes uh, if you visit rethinkingym.org. Well, friends, this has been a great conversation. Kara, thank you so much for joining us. This has been super uh, insightful. So I, I appreciate it. I've learned from y'all. And uh, <laughs> thank you for listening to this week's episode of Rethinking Youth Ministry. Until next time, thanks for listening.